Welcome to the My Best Mom Friend Podcast. My name is Sandra, and I'm the virtual mom bestie you didn't know you needed. Grab a cup, make yourself comfortable, and allow me to spill the tea on motherhood. Welcome back to the My Best Mom Friend Podcast. Today, we're going to get into another heavier topic, and that is miscarriage, pregnancy loss. So approximately roughly one in every three pregnancies will result in a miscarriage. One in three. I just want you to know if you're going through this right now where you've walked the walk of miscarriage, you are not alone. This is so incredibly common. It's it's so unfortunate that it's so common, but it is, and it's not talked about enough. So I just I just want you to know if you're listening, there's nothing that you did wrong. There's nothing you could have done to prevent this, and you are not alone. As lonely as it may feel, I just want you to know that. So in this interview today, I am interviewing Morgan Martin. She is launching her book, Healing Empty Hands, that will be available tomorrow, January 31st. Morgan became extremely passionate about helping other women who have struggled through the same experience and provide resources that weren't available during her own healing. So I had the pleasure of interviewing Morgan just before her book launch. The book is beautiful. It is exactly what every woman currently walking this path needs. So Without further ado, let's jump right in. So first of all, congratulations on your upcoming book launch. Healing Empty Hands is available January 31st, right? Yes. And it's your journey through your first pregnancy that ended in miscarriage and your journey through that grief and healing. Yes. So let me first say thank you for being one of the many women sharing vulnerable moments and breaking that stigma of maternal mental health and speaking up about the hard moments on the road to motherhood. Yes. Well, thank you so much. It definitely isn't easy, but I feel like so many women need that. Like people need to know that they're not alone. And I love how this is being talked about more than even it was in 2020 when I went through mine. So I think it's definitely super important. Yeah, I definitely think more women are speaking up about miscarriage, infertility, um, maternal mental health, postpartum. I know that's something that I try to do. And I yeah. think it's it's so good that there are women out there like us that help just validate that and let yeah. other moms and women know that they're not alone. Yes. I feel like I read your posts all the time and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm not the only one. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah, it just brings that sense of, okay, I'm doing, I'm doing okay. I'm, yeah. I'm doing a good job. Yeah. Yes. And then when I read those comments too, or get the messages, it also helps validate that I was not alone or I'm not currently alone in my experience, which is yeah. All right. So let's jump into some questions to kind of cover a little bit about your book. So one of the questions I received from an Instagram follower was how to get over the trauma and fear of trying again after loss. I'm sure many moms have an elevated level of anxiety when they find out they're expecting after a loss. So how did you feel going into your first ultrasound for your rainbow baby 
after having found out you miscarried at your first ultrasound with your first pregnancy? Yeah. Yeah. It was super scary. So to give you a little background, like I'm married, we have our rainbow baby Brooks and he's 14 months old now. So, um, the first ultrasound that I ever went to ended in horrible news. And so I was terrified and it's crazy because whenever people who haven't experienced loss, see a positive pregnancy test, usually it's mostly excitement. There may be a little fear there, but it's probably for me, whenever I got my first positive, I was like, Oh my gosh, like, right what could go wrong? This is great. And I like told my husband right away. We told all of our family and friends were like, this is great. Just like in bliss. And then the second time um, that I got a positive pregnancy test. So after my miscarriage, I was terrified. It did not have a whole lot of excitement with it. It was mostly just like fear. And I was like, I don't want this to happen to me again. I don't know if I could survive going through this again. And that's how I felt at the time, but I had only known ultrasounds to go badly. So I couldn't really fathom what it felt like to have a good ultrasound. Like I couldn't picture what a baby on the screen with a heartbeat and leaving with good news and those little pictures looked like. I had never experienced that. I'd only experienced leaving in heartbreak and tears and my husband consoling me and us figuring out what the heck we're supposed to do next. So I had some affirmations um, that I found on a pregnancy loss Facebook group. So I saved those on my phone as my screensaver. I literally read those every single day for the first few weeks of my pregnancy, especially before the ultrasound. And I remember before we were leaving for the ultrasound that morning, I looked at Derek and I was like, we have to pray. And so we stood in our kitchen and I started praying and then I couldn't make it through it. I started crying and he was, so he took over and he started praying and we listened to worship music the whole time on the way to the ultrasound. And we were just like, okay, like whatever happened, like we can't control this. So we're not going to stress out about it. If this is a happy time, like we want to fully be in that happy moment and we have no reason to be afraid until there's a reason to be afraid. You know, there's no that we don't want to ruin this moment more than it already has to be ruined for us. And so we really tried to put on brave faces and we were sitting in the, in the, um, waiting room. And I just looked at my husband and he kind of smiled at me and I did not smile back. I was just like fear. (laughs) And he was like, read your affirmations. And so I just read my affirmations until the lady was like, Morgan. And I was like, Oh my gosh. And so, (laughs) and we went in and obviously, you know, we have Brooks now and it ended in great news, but it was very, very scary. Like all the way up until she put the little Doppler on and she was like, there he is. Or well, she didn't know the gender, but she was like, there's the baby, you know, it has a heartbeat. And so then we finally breathed for what felt like the first time in six or eight weeks. And we were just like, oh my gosh. Okay. Finally. So yeah, it was very, very terrifying. And so I feel like anybody who's ever been through that or who anybody who's trying after a loss and thinking of what that moment's going to be like, you are not alone. And it is so normal to be absolutely terrified. Um, but just know that like, just because you had one loss, doesn't mean that you're going to have another one. It doesn't mean that you won't, but it doesn't mean that you will. And so it is extremely hard though. That was my personal experience. I was, yeah, it was really rough. Yeah. All the emotions, but it's beautiful that you said, you know, despite having all the fears and emotions that you were trying so hard to be present, which I'm sure is really, really difficult to do. Yeah, Um, But you don't, right. You don't want it to kind of rob you of the joy that you might experience this time because that fear has set in, you know, 
Right. Right. Yeah. And I mean, and so we had Brooks and I'm actually, you know, pregnant a third time Right. and we're expecting a little girl and oh, I, congratulations. Thought, thank you. Thank you. We're really excited. But you know, whenever I got this positive pregnancy test, I was more excited than fearful because I had known miscarriage and I had known a healthy pregnancy with a healthy baby. And so I was like, okay, this is going to be a little bit easier. You know, it gets easier each time. Like this will be great. And then the day before that ultrasound again with this one, I'm like, I thought pregnancy after loss and then after a healthy pregnancy would be easier. And it just, it wasn't. And that's not to discourage anybody on here by any means, but I had so many women say, you are exactly right. That is so how I felt. Like I totally get it. And so, yeah, it just, it, it just sucks. You know, it kind of robs you of the excitement and the emotions that normally come with pregnancy for people. So. Absolutely. So, I mean, for me personally, um, I have not experienced a miscarriage, but because when I was pregnant, so many women were speaking up about it and sharing the statistic of just how common it unfortunately is. Mm-hmm. It's still like instilled a fear in me as well. And like knowing my mom's miscarried and things like that, even though it may not be genetic, but I mean, I, I also went into that first appointment. I was kind of just like expecting that there wouldn't be a heartbeat, that they wouldn't find a baby. So mm-hmm. I kind of went into it in a negative way, unlike yeah. you. So yeah. it's so beautiful that so many women are opening up and sharing, but it can also, you know, create further anxiety too. Yes. So, um, 100%. yeah. So can you share with us what those affirmations were? Yes. Yeah. So, um, these affirmations are uh, incredible and I also have them on my Instagram. We'll talk about like my handle and stuff a little bit later. Um, but I have them on there too, cause I'm going to say I'm pretty fast. I don't feel like you have to write them down. You can go grab them from there. Um, and I did not create these. Like I said, I got them from a rainbow Facebook group. So I'm just, reading you what I found, but these are something that I read every single day. I save them as a screensaver on my phone. Um, and I would encourage you to do the same, especially if you are going through pregnancy after loss, or if you're just somebody who's like, I see all these people having miscarriages and I'm so afraid that I'm going right. to have one. Um, so here are the affirmations. Number one, today I am pregnant and I love my baby. Number two, I am pregnant with a healthy growing baby until I'm told otherwise. Number three, my past is not my future and previous losses does not mean I will have future losses. Number four, just because someone else is having a loss doesn't mean that I will. Miscarriage and loss are not contagious, but fear can be. Number five, hope does not make bad things happen. I cannot jinx my pregnancy by getting my hopes up or by telling someone about it. Number six, there is nothing I can change with worry. Worrying about what's not in my hands does not prevent it from happening. And if it happens again, God forbid, I know I can survive. Okay. Those are powerful. I think I'm going to have to put those in the show notes as well. So people can just easily copy and paste those. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, those and some other things that kind of helped me with my anxiety after finding out that I was pregnant again, we also had a safe word, um, me and my husband. So have a safe word with your partner to kind of let them know when you have that fear or anxiety. But when you're establishing the safe word, it's important to be super clear about what you need from them in that moment, because everybody needs something different. And you may need something different. 
each time you use the safe word. So whether it's just space to journal and be alone and to process, or maybe it's quality time and distraction. Like, Hey, I'm getting really afraid. Like I'm starting to have fear and anxiety. Let's go do something fun. You know, so everybody's different, but when you use that safe word, it's time for them to give you whatever it is that you need. And so we loved having that too, is just an option of like, okay, if I do have fear, anxiety, this is what we're going to do. It's not a big deal. We're in this together. And to have his support through that, that was super helpful too. Um, and if you don't have a partner, you could also do this with a friend. You could do it with a mom. You could do it with whoever, you know? Right. Yeah. It's just important to have someone to lean on in a time like this. Even going to therapy can be, you know, really beneficial. Oh my gosh. Yes. I found with like postpartum depression and anxiety, just speaking aloud, what I was feeling was so helpful or journaling it or when I would speak my fears aloud to my husband, you know, he would kind of help me like rationalize them or, you know, it just really helps. Yeah. Therapy is incredible for sure. Yeah. So can you also share some coping methods um, for moms that are currently walking through a miscarriage? So they haven't started trying again, but they're currently going through it and navigating those emotions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I talk about this in my book too. There's like a whole section dedicated to this. Um, and I talk about just finding a few people that you can share your emotions and your feelings with, without fear of judgment. And I say just a few people because it really is such a personal thing and you don't feel like you have to open up to the world or shut in completely. Like you can just have one or two people that you confide in whenever you are having a bad day or whenever you're having a good day. Um, Do something daily that brings you joy. Someone asked me after I had my miscarriage, what brings you joy? And I literally couldn't list anything. I was like, I actually don't know what brings me joy because I never take time for myself. And if you're a mom or if you're a woman in general, you probably don't really know what brings you joy because you're doing all these other things for other people all the time. So find something that brings you joy, figure out what those things are and do something every single day. Um, Know when that, like know when you need to say no and don't feel guilty about it spend quality time with your partner, but remember that they're grieving too. Like that's something we'll talk a little bit more about that later, but that's something that helped my husband and I too, is just having those times together um, and really pouring into our relationship during our loss. Um, move your body, stay active, like releasing those endorphins. That yeah. really does make a difference. Even if it's going for a walk or if it's like doing a CrossFit workout, it doesn't really matter what you do. Move your body, go, go do something with a friend, stay active with a friend, go play tennis or I don't know, do something fun. Yeah. So those are some of the things that I did to help me cope. And so I want to touch on a little bit more about like knowing when to say no and knowing when to say yes. So I talk about this in my book too, but knowing when to say yes and no are super important. So setting realistic expectations for the people around you for the things that you're capable of in this moment and being gentle with yourself to know that it's probably going to be different than it was in a different season of your life. So maybe that's letting your child's PTO know that you can't head up the fundraiser next month and that someone else should take the lead until you're ready to jump back in. Maybe it's, you know, you're still able to be a part of it, but you can't take the lead on it. And just kind of like setting those expectations. Maybe it's, you know, asking someone to go pick up your kids while they're picking up their kids from school because you just can't do it today. Um, And maybe that's letting your husband know that you're both going to have leftovers, you know, for dinner or that you're going to be eating out for the next few days. Um, And then also know when to say yes And this sounds like contradictory, but it's not because you can do both and both are going to serve you in different seasons. But the worst thing you can be after going through a loss is isolated. So your best asset is your community. So 
they're not mutually exclusive. Like saying yes to hanging out with people, like saying yes to, to having those people around you that are going to truly be there for you Mm -hmm. in your season of grief that don't have those expectations of you that don't have like, Oh, you're normally the fun friend, but you're not the fun friend right right now. Like they know that you're going through things and they know that you don't have to be the fun friend all the time and that you can be the person that's just sitting there quiet and they're okay with just sitting there in the quiet little space with you. And it doesn't have to be something that's the the normal hangout that it used to be. So knowing when to say no and knowing when to say yes, those are extremely important after a loss. Um, And those are things that helped me a lot. Okay. Yeah. I will say, I think setting boundaries is crucial. When Mm -hmm. I was about to have my baby shower, um, one of my best friends had just gone through a miscarriage. Mm -hmm. I think it was two weeks after. So very fresh, you know, and I think she felt horrible, but she um, declined to come. Um, and I completely understood that. Right. I I can't imagine. It's like, you want to be there for your friend. You love your friend. You want to be supportive, but it it just, it's too fresh. It hurts too bad to be around everyone being joyful and celebrating the baby to be. So yeah, I'm sure that's very common, right. As all your friends are having babies around the same time, if you're walking that walk, that it's, it's really hard to go to something like a baby shower. Yeah. And that's really, that's, that's very bold of her to say, you know, Hey, I, I can't do this. And she probably knew that you were the friend that wasn't going to take it personally and be like, Oh my gosh, you're, you don't like me. We're not friends anymore. Like you probably understood like, wow, like I, I totally understand. Like I get that. So having those types of friendships is incredibly important and being the type of friend on the receiving end of that to not take those things personally, because that is very hard that baby showers, like seeing those Facebook announcements, all that stuff is very hard afterwards. So, yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, anyone listening could probably take away this piece of advice of like, if, if you are having a shower coming up and you know, one of your close friends has just recently gone through this, Mm -hmm. that perhaps, you know, you take that step for her and say like, Hey, you know, if, if you're not ready for this, I totally understand just to kind of offer her that out and that time to heal. Yeah. Cause it, it does, it takes a special person to be the one to say that, yeah. you know, because we don't want to let those people down or whatever. So that's, that's very good that she knew that she wasn't ready for that and that she yeah. took those steps that she needed to. Yeah, absolutely. So towards the beginning of the book, you mentioned something that I hear so many women say about miscarriage, and that is how They felt like a quote unquote failure as a woman because their body didn't do what it was supposed to do Um, and how you, you know, felt like humiliated and embarrassed to have to like untell your friends and family about the news. Um, And so, like I said, while I didn't have a miscarriage, I also shared the news with my closest family and friends literally the day I got the positive test. (laughs) Um, But I personally feel like I would have still wanted them to know so that they could help me walk this walk together rather than, you know, suffering and grieving in silence alone, as I know many, many women do. Um, So do you actually wish that you hadn't told them or did you do it differently the second time around? Yeah. So, um, this one's, this one's kind of complicated. It's kind of hard (laughs) to explain. So, the the reason we originally told them in the first place, so we found out we were pregnant, we didn't tell them like 
the same week, but it was kind of like leading up to the ultrasound. Everything yeah. was fine. No signs of any issues. So we were like, I'm sure it's fine. Like, I mean, it's totally right. fine, right? Like it's fine. Yeah. And so we were like, we'll just tell them. And so we just kind of slowly told them we flew down. My parents, um, birthdays are both in October. So we actually flew down South where I'm from and went and told both of my parents in person. We did this whole thing for their birthdays. Mm-hmm. And so it was, I mean, crazy. Like we were telling all of them and we knew, and we had thought about, there's always that chance. Everybody knows that that's why people don't say anything right right away. Right. Like whether you've had a loss or not, you just kind of keep it to yourself because there's always that chance. We told ourselves if anything were to happen, we'd want them to know anyway. Mm -hmm. That's why we don't mind telling them. Now on the other side of that, and this is just my personal experience. This is not me saying one way is right or one way is wrong. You have to do what feels best for you, no matter if you've had a loss or not. But for me, on the other side of that, I still do wish that I would not have told them. And here's why. Because I still would have told them about the miscarriage. I would have told them after the fact and been like, hey, this is what happened. We had a loss. Mm-hmm. And then it would have been them losing something that they never knew they had. Right. Versus the hardest part about them knowing so soon was having to untell them. It felt like we were breaking their hearts. Yeah. And we got their hopes up and it was like we crushed them whenever they found out that we lost the baby. And so obviously they were extremely hurt for us, but they were also grieving for themselves. My parents were going to become grandparents for the first time and then they just lost that. And so it's like they would have known either way and they would have grieved for us either way. But having to go back and tell them the bad news after sharing the moments of the good news and seeing the looks on their faces and they found out they were going to be grandparents and then having to rip that from them, that tore me apart as much for them as it did for myself. And so we did wait our other two pregnancies to tell people until we had ultrasounds. And so that's just what we chose to do because we're like, we never want to do this again. And also there was that pressure of when we had our ultrasound and we found out we were having a loss, like there was part of us that was still processing. And we were like, how do we say this? Like, we don't want to say it out loud. Like we both know what's going on and we don't have to say the word, but to have to go back and relive it, it stung even more. And it was something that we weren't really ready to do, but we had told our parents we had an ultrasound that day. So they were checking in, Hey, how did everything go? Heart eye emojis and just celebration emojis. And we were like, Mm -hmm. that's what we thought it would be too. And it wasn't, you know, and it was just like this expectation that they had. And, and we didn't tell anybody for a while. We didn't check in with our parents. And so my mom knew something was wrong because we didn't say anything. And so she waited till she got off of work and called us. And it was like, we had to tell her, I don't know. It was just, it was, it was a lot. So we said like, never again. Yeah. For us personally, we decided to wait the other two times. And I think we were thankful that we did. And so we would have had them still be there for us in the loss, but it's kind of like letting them having them lose something that they never knew they had, I think would have been easier or easier news to tell them than what we actually had to do. No, that makes sense. And like I said, having not, having not had experienced this before, I didn't even think of that. Right. I, I was mostly thinking of how I would be feeling, not about how you're kind of ripping this away from future grandparents that are so excited. Right. Cause they have their own grieving process to go through at that point. Yeah. And none of them were like, oh my gosh, this is so painful for me. You know, that was never, right, their of response. course not, <laughs> but that, I mean, of course it was painful for them, you know? And so mm-hmm. it just, it just sucked all around for everybody. So yeah, it was, yeah. 
Yeah. But who knew? Like we had no idea. We had no way of knowing. So, and again, like neither way is right. Neither way is wrong. And I had a friend that went through a miscarriage and she got pregnant again and told all of her friends right away. And she wanted that support from them either way. And that's what she chose to do. And that's perfect. Like that was what she wanted. And so she did that. And I think that that's great. I was a hundred percent supportive of it. Yeah. You just have to do what's best for you. And it's just interesting for me to ask, having not experienced this, you know, and and just kind of seeing different totally points different. of view. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So um, I, I rarely hear anyone ask about the partner, how the partner's doing, how the husband is holding up. You mm-hmm. touch on your partner's grief and how he processed the miscarriage a little bit. Um, can you speak a little more to this? Because I feel like often, you know, perhaps the partners feel a little bit forgotten because it's the woman's body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and obviously like we're physically going through the miscarriage, but they are mentally going through everything that we're going through. Like they lost a child too. And maybe they weren't as connected to it physically or emotionally as we were, but they still lost a baby too. And so whenever we were going through it was kind of like the day and day after the miscarriage, my husband, he took off like work for the part of the ultrasound, but then had to go back later that day. Mm -hmm. Um, and it wasn't a job where he could just sit, call in and say, Hey, I can't come in today. He had to find a replacement. So there wasn't an option for him to stay home with me. Mm -hmm. So he went to work and that was great for him. He loved that he went to work and he was like, this is a good thing to get my mind off of this. Like not that he was avoiding processing anything, but he just needed that. Whereas me, I work from home and I was like, don't contact me. I will not be available today. And nobody really knew why, but I was like, I'm not going to work today because I just can't focus. Like that's not something that I want to do right now. Mm -hmm. And So we both process very differently. I am an external processor, meaning that I like to talk through things. I like to journal things. Um, I like to just get the words out and kind of process as I'm speaking. Mm -hmm. Whereas my husband, he likes to internally process, meaning that he doesn't like to talk about it until he already has gone through the whole process and knows how he feels about everything and can formulate what his, you know, how his feelings are. And so we're both very different. And so not only did we feel things differently and do things differently, but we also needed different things from each other in those moments. And so the, the way that this kind of led up, and I talk about this in the book too, we went through several losses of family members prior to our loss um, Mm -hmm. of our baby. And so I had seen how he was grieving and coping and I was like, whoa, this is weird. And so if you haven't ever really experienced loss with your partner before, this might be a lot harder for you to kind of like navigate this for the first time. But whenever we, whenever his uncle, my husband's uncle unexpectedly passed away in 2016, the way that I saw him internally processing was something I've never seen before. I didn't relate to it. I was like, what is he doing? What does he need me to do? Like, he doesn't want me to talk. Like, does he want me to distract him? Should we listen to music on this three hour car drive? Are we just going (laughs) to sit in silence? What am I supposed to do? And so it was very like, ooh. And so afterwards we were able to talk through and say, okay, can you explain to me why you didn't talk for five days? And he was just, you know, processing things. And I'm like, well, you have to talk through that stuff. And he was like, you don't have to talk through. That's where I learned that there's two different types of people that my way is not the right way, which, you know, women, we think that that is the, right. the case. We're not the only right. way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was, that was very interesting. So because I had that foundation that I knew 
how he processed, I kind of thought back to that and thought, okay, I'm not going to take his silence as him not caring Mm -hmm. about me or about the loss. I'm not going to try to make him talk before he's ready. Um, And he knew that I like to externally process because he also lost my papaw unexpectedly in 2017. And so he knew that I needed to talk. I needed to talk through things. I needed to cry. I needed to do all the things. And he let me do that. Even though he didn't respond, he didn't really say a whole lot. He didn't offer advice. He didn't really do anything in return. He just let me talk. He just let me process. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of did that for each other. And it was not perfect. Please do not hear me say we healed perfectly and we were had the perfect marriage and we never fight. And we that is not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that having that foundation was very helpful in that moment. If you don't have that foundation, I would encourage you to ask your partner, just what do you need? How can I help you through this season? And here's what I need from you. And it's okay if they're different. Throw away the timeline. You're each going to heal at your own pace. So don't rush the other person. And don't be offended if they move on faster than you do. Mm -hmm. And by move on, I just mean where it doesn't seem to affect their every single everyday life. Right. That's a good Um, one. Another thing you can do is date each other again. Flirt. Go on dates. Get dressed up. Put your phones away. Truly connect. Because there is a statistic that says that a lot of people separate or divorce or whatever after the loss of a child. And that can include a miscarriage. And so when you have that loss, it is super crucial to make sure you're pouring back into your marriage and into your relationship. And then, yeah, like I said, just ask, ask what they need. How can you support them during this time? You don't have to play a guessing game. You don't have to like try to guess what they need or have them guess what you need. Just straight up ask each other, have that conversation and then move forward in confidence that, I'm going to be able to give this person what they need because I know exactly what that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I read that um, that same statistic somewhere just recently in the past week or two. And that's right. We're not saying that to to scare anyone into thinking right. if we have a miscarriage, our relationship won't be the same. But just as with anything, even if once you have that baby, right, communication is everything because these things change everything. Trauma, grief changes everything a little bit. And communication is so important. And like you said, I do think traditionally men um, internalize a lot of their emotions and feelings where then it, it may seem like, you know, they're more distant from it or they've moved on sooner. Um, so yeah. And I am sure, Oh, sorry. I was just going to say that if you haven't experienced something like this before and miscarriage is your first time experiencing like grief and trauma together, how that could be you know, challenging to navigate, especially if you're polar opposites and how you grieve. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just going to say, if it's getting really difficult and you're like, I think we're beyond this point. I don't think that this, this conversation is going to be very helpful for my relationship where we're at seek therapy, whether it's like Mm -hmm. counseling apart or marriage counseling or couples therapy or whatever it is that you need to do. But there is also to give you hope I I think our miscarriage and our loss brought our relationship closer together, you know, and it wasn't immediately that we were like, oh my gosh, like we're the best couple ever. And like, we're still not, we, we have our issues. Like, please don't ever hear me say that our marriage is perfect, but I think that it did bring us closer together, but we were also intentional about not letting this be something that drove us further apart and knowing that both can happen. You, you get to make that choice and both partners have to be in, in alignment and in agreement with which one they're choosing But when you can get on board with that together, you can absolutely make this stronger, you know, make this, let this make your relationship stronger. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm just kind of jumping around, but so you hear so many of the wrong things that people say 
Mm-hmm. Um, or they just don't say anything because they don't know what to say. And I know that there is no right or wrong thing to say really, because nothing is going to truly take away that pain that you're feeling. But mm-hmm. just for anyone listening, what do you think are some of like the better things to say or do for a woman to support her while she's experiencing this? Um, there is another reel that I made actually that talks about this, about okay. the things that people have said that I'm like, oh, maybe yeah. don't say that things like, oh, you could just get pregnant again, or at least you weren't that far along. And it's like, it doesn't make it any easier. Like none right. of those things make it feel better. But some of the best things that people did for me and some of the things that I love doing now for people is just instead of saying, cause it's very overwhelming, like in, in your mind, after you have a loss, you have all these either decisions that you have to make, or you have all of these thoughts that are swarming in your mind. So having less things, less options makes it easier. So instead of saying like, Hey, what can I do for you today? That feels very overwhelming. And they'll probably just say, no, nothing. I'm fine. Mm-hmm. But if you say, Hey, I'd love to bring you some lunch. What day this week can I bring that to you? Right. And then bring them lunch on that day. And you can choose like either, Hey, I'm just going to leave it on your porch. Mm-hmm. Um, I just left you some, some lunch on your porch. If you ever want me to come sit with you, I'd love to do that too. And you can either ask them, like, do you want me to bring you lunch and let's eat together? Or do you want me to just leave it there for right. you and let them, you know, give them two options or say mm-hmm. like, I'd love to bring you a Starbucks gift card, or I'd love to bring you Chick-fil-A breakfast. Which one do you prefer? Right. And just those little things. And it doesn't even have to be like any money that you're spending. You can literally just say, Hey, I'd love to come sit with you. Do you want me to talk about my issues so that you can feel better about your, about your life? Do you want me to talk about things that are funny that have nothing to do with anything? Or do you want me to just listen to you? We could also sit in silence and we can binge watch a Netflix show. What, what do you need? What can I do for you? What do you want? And so having those options and just like having people's just sit with me or be there or just like those little text messages that people would send hand thinking about you two mm-hmm. weeks after the fact. I'm like, that means a lot because yeah. the day after I post about it or the day after it happens, you get a lot of support, but then it's like the two and three weeks later where you're still you're coping and navigating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then everybody else seems to have moved on and you get a text message that says, Hey, I'm thinking about you. Yeah. It's like, wow. Mm-hmm. You really care about me. And I remember who did that. I remember those people. Yeah. And so that stuff meant so much. And so I think it's not really so much as like what you say as just letting people know that you are there for them and that you are there to support them and that you love on them. And I think one thing that I um, heard from Lisa Turker, she's a Christian author. She said, don't ever try to make it like you don't have to make it better. Don't feel like you have to sit there and make it better. One of my favorite things to say to people who have experienced loss is I say, this totally sucks. And I am so sorry. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Like, yeah. it's okay. That's the sucks. truth. Yeah, It just sucks. And I'm not going to say it's going to get better because people would tell me, oh, it's going to get better. It's going to get better. And I was like, okay, it's going to get better. I'm just going to wait around until it gets better. Well, yeah. it just, there's not a point where it becomes better. It's just, you kind of look back and you're like, oh, I'm here. Right. And, and it's not better. linear either. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's better. And then it's not that it's better. And then you cry in a dish towel at the kitchen sink and yeah. it's, there's so many ups and downs. And so not saying like, there's always good intentions behind anything people say. So I think don't stress yourself out of like, what if I say the wrong thing? They know your intentions, but just be there for them let them sit in the suck. Tell them how, like, I'm so sorry. Um, and yeah, I mean, 
there, there's a lot of different ways that you can do it. And I think they're going to know your heart behind it. Yeah. Yep. I think just in my opinion, it you kind of almost treat it like, you know, there was a physical loss, right? Like, because there was, you mm-hmm. just haven't actually met this, this little person yet, but mm-hmm. it should be kind of treated the same way, right? Like with my best friend, you know, she went through a really, really rough miscarriage and, you know, I dropped off, like you said, coffee, um, different little goodies, like self-care things. And, um, she's very rooted in her faith. So I found like, a um, a devotional specific to miscarriage. Um, and then it is like what you said, you know, women especially don't like to ask for help. So whether it's during a miscarriage or postpartum, we never reach out and say, we need help, you know? So like you said, just saying, Hey, like, I'm going to drop off lunch for you. Would you prefer this or this? And then giving them the option of, do you want me to come in? Or, you know, do you want to be alone? But to to give someone that option and and like you said, know that someone's there for you. Mm-hmm. I think that's the most important thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so another listener asked, how do you tell a friend you're pregnant when they're dealing with infertility? So I actually had to go through this um with a friend with this pregnancy. Uh she is struggling with secondary infertility. And so I, this is a very sensitive subject for her. And she actually asked me, um, back in December before we had told anybody if we could do, she was like talking about coming up here. She lives in a different state. And she was like, maybe we could do something at the very beginning of August. Well, my due date's at the end of July. So I'm thinking, oh crap, I'm going to have to tell her now because she's going to wonder why I can't go on this trip. And so when we started telling people, I kind of, I honestly just didn't respond for a while. Cause like, she was like, don't get back to this. You know, it's Christmas week. Don't worry about it. So it gave me a little time to think. And we had sent everybody a picture of our son with a little letter board that said big brother, July, 2023. Oh. And so that's how we announced. We were like, we have some news, whatever. So with her, obviously I wanted to be a softer than that. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to give her the opportunity to be happy for me. And what I mean by that, I think is I didn't want to assume that she was going to be sad or disappointed that I was pregnant. Um, I know that she's going to be happy for me, but I also know how it's going to make her feel and it could potentially bring up a lot of emotions for her. So what I sent to her was, um, as I, you know, responded to some stuff that she had sent me. And then I said, and as far as the trip, I'm not sure if we'll be able to swing it. I'm going to text you the reason why, but I also want to be sensitive because I know it's a hard topic, but I also don't want you to find out on social media, but I'm pregnant again and I'm due at the end of July. So I don't think we'd be able to do an August trip with both kids that soon, but I'll definitely let you know if things change. Um, or if that changes, I'll let you know. Mm -hmm. And, um, So she said, she was like, oh my gosh, my heart. I love that so much for you. Congratulations. Thank you for being sensitive about it, but I'm genuinely so happy for you. And this is somebody who is already a very understanding person. And she's Mm -hmm. also 
always cheering other people on. And she also knows my heart and that I would never want to hurt her with that news. And so she was, I mean, it sounded like she, I've never struggled with infertility, but it sounded like she was thankful that she didn't find out on social media because as a close friend, I wouldn't want to avoid it so much that she found out on that in that way, because I think that would have stung even more in two different ways. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, she's pregnant. And oh, she didn't even tell me. Right. But then also she, you know, thanked me for being sensitive. I kind of just like glided past it, you know, like just, oh, you know, this is happening. And so like, but if that changes, we'll let you know, maybe we can do a vacation. So I didn't want it to be like the whole emphasis of this big text message. I didn't do a bunch of emojis. I didn't send a picture that we sent everybody else. So just tried to soften it, but there's really not a super easy way to tell somebody that you're getting the thing that they've been praying for. You know, it's very, very difficult. And so I think just loving on them in the times that they are struggling with their, you know, situation, it's going to help when that time comes up that they're going to know your heart and that it's not to hurt them and that, you know, that you are there for them and that you are praying for them or cheering them on for, for their pregnancy in the future and things like that. Yeah. Definitely not, not an easy thing to do. Um, okay. So the last area I want to touch on, um, and just sidebar for me, like I am not a super religious person practicing any particular faith, but a large portion of your book touches on how this experience really questioned and tested your faith and how it caused you to question everything. So can you touch on this a little bit for the listeners who are having these same feelings? Yeah. So I do talk a lot about this in the book and I talk about, you know, how I came to know the Lord and my faith and all of that stuff in the book as well. Um, so I won't get into all of that, but it was really, really difficult for me because I felt like I had done everything right. Like I did everything the right way, quote, quote, the right way. Right. But then this thing still happened to me. And I'm like, why me? Like, I remember that was like my question. Like that was the Morgan question was why me? I'm sure why everyone asks that. Yeah. Yeah. What did yeah. I and it's not that I was like, why didn't it happen to them? Like I didn't want it yeah. to happen to anybody, but I was like, okay, this person over here is pregnant. This person over here is pregnant. This person, why did this happen to me? Like, what did I do wrong? And it's just this reminder of like, I didn't do anything wrong that caused this. Like, this is not a punishment. Like God's not like, oh, you did this. So I'm going to cause that. That's not how it works. It truly is yeah. not how it works. Because there's sin in the world, bad things just happen to, to good people, to bad people, bad things just happen. And sometimes there's truly no reason why, but God allows these things to happen. I did not say he causes these things, by the way, like he doesn't cause these things to happen. He's not like, oh, I'm going to make Morgan have a miscarriage. It's not how God works, but there's sin in the world. So then there's death and that includes miscarriage. That also includes pain and childbirth. All of those things came whenever sin entered into the world. And so God will allow certain things to happen. And we just have to trust that he is going to work all of those things for good. So I talk about Romans 8, 28 in my book a lot. Um, And it talks about just how he's going to use every single thing in our life for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And I talk about Genesis 50, 20, where Joseph is talking um, and he says, you intended this to harm me, but God intended it for good so that I could save the lives of many. 
And that's the verses like that I clung to the whole time during my miscarriage, because I was like, okay, I don't know why this is happening, but I know that it's going to be good. I know that there's a purpose. I know that it was intended to harm me, but God's going to use it for good and that it's going to help other people. I also share this story, um, about the three men in the fire and the, from the Bible, um, if you look in the stories of the Bible, there are just the people that God uses the most. And I think of like Esther and David and Paul and Jesus, they went through struggles. Like they went through hard times and they were used mightily either through their struggles because of their struggles. Other people came to know Jesus because of their struggles. And so I talk about these three men and, um, it's a story of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and, when so basically this the gist is that this king is like okay if you pray to god then you're gonna be thrown into this fiery furnace and they're like okay well we're gonna pray to god anyway because we trust him and if we die then we die like whatever he chooses to do whatever this king decides to do it's gonna be fine but we're not gonna pray to the king we're gonna pray to god and so then the king finds out brings the three men to him and he is you know talking to these three men and he's like you know, giving them an opportunity to, to bow down before him and they choose not to. And so they're thrown into the fiery furnace. And then like, so the, the fire was heated up like three times hotter than it normally is or something like that. And the men who were throwing them into the fire died because of the heat, just from opening the door to throw them in. And the men were thrown into the fire and people looked into the, into the little, I don't even know what it was like, I guess like a dungeon type thing they look in and they see four men instead of the three that they threw in there and they're like who's the fourth and then they get them out and they are not burned like they should be absolutely dead from like the minute that they go in there but they're not dead and it also says that not a hair on their head was singed they didn't even smell like smoke like if you stand next to a bonfire right your hair smells like bonfire for like a week and a half right mm-hmm they didn't even smell like smoke. And so it's this reminder of, and like philosophers and like people who, you know, are looking into the Bible, like all of these um, theologians, they, they say that it's Jesus or the Holy spirit or like the God that was with them in that fiery furnace. And so thinking about that story, and I knew that story growing up from like Sunday school, mm-hmm. but when you're going through your own fire, it hits different. Yeah. So I'm thinking about it and I'm like, okay, God was with me in the fire. He was with these three men in the fire. I can come out of this fire, not smelling like smoke. I can come out of this fire looking like I haven't even been in a fire. But then my question was, why did I even have to go into the fire? Right. Because in the story, the three men come before the king and God is powerful enough to change the king's heart. He could have changed the king's heart. He could have changed the king's mind. He could have done any type of intervention that he wanted to, to make it to where they never even had to go into the fire. Yet they still had to go through the fire. And so my question was like, God, you could have saved me from going through this at all, but you didn't. And so why did you not? And that was kind of like where my faith was like, what the heck, you know, like why in the world did I have to go through this? Like, did I do something wrong? And obviously, you know, I explained at the beginning, that's not how it works. And the Lord, like I said, why did this happen to me? Why me? And I just felt the Holy Spirit whisper to my spirit because you'll use it. Yeah. I was like, wow. Okay. So then like at that moment, I turned 
what could, I mean, what was the worst time of my life. And it did not make it immediately easier. It did not make me like, oh, okay, then we're good. Like, let's go. It it was not that, but like in that moment, I was like, okay, then I'm going to take this thing that was the suckiest thing I've ever been through and I'm going to use it for good. And I am going to have purpose in this. I'm going to make it a mission. I'm going to use this to help other people. And I don't even know what that looks like. This is obviously before I even thought about writing a book. Yeah. But I was like, I'm going to use this. I'm going to use this as a testimony. And I'm going to, I'm going to go through this fire. If this is what God's requiring of me, if this is something that he's allowed to happen, I'm going to go through this fire, but I'm going to know that I'm not alone. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to know that on the other side of it, I'm going to come out and I'm going to be unscathed. I'm going to be fine. And he's going to use it for good. He's going to use this to become, or to help me become who I need to be for Mm -hmm. what he's calling me to do in life. And so if you're going through those same feelings of this testing your faith, the Bible talks about testing your faith. You know, it, it tests, it tests your faith, um, so that you can prove that you have, let let me find the verse. Okay. (laughs) Hang on. It produces perseverance and hang on. And I think even if, if you're not, you know, super religious, it's still this whole message of like, you didn't do anything wrong. Like you're not to blame. Right. Right. Like, shit happens excuse my mm-hmm. colorful language yeah. but you know it it's not it dead wrong yeah right and it's hard sometimes because we always want to why like okay but mm-hmm. why though right. and it's like you don't always get the answer to that you don't yeah. always have the answer to that question but what you do know is that God's going to use it for good even if it is the crappy stuff even if it yeah. is the hard stuff like he is going to use it for good the verse I was looking for was James 1 3 for you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and so knowing that like the testing of your faith is in the Bible. Like it's going to happen. It is okay. It's not going to kill you. It's going to make you stronger, produces steadfastness. And those are the things that we want. We pray for all these good qualities. And like, this is sometimes how God brings you to that place where you are more like him. And he does that through these trials and through these fires that you have to go through. Right. So not only have you birthed your rainbow baby, um, you're like you said, pregnant with baby number two, and you've birthed this beautiful book that will help so many women and families navigate this type of grief. So just on behalf of all the women that will be buying your book, um, thank you for using your voice and sharing your experience with us. I know this will help so many women going through this pain and walking this path. So Tell the listeners where they can find your book and where they can find you. Yes. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for having me again. This has been so fun. Um, I really, my prayer is that this book will help you and encourage you and equip you to find hope and healing and peace through your miscarriage. Um, I'm on Instagram at Morgan Renee McIntyre. Maybe we can put that in the show notes too. And then um, Facebook, Morgan Martin or facebook.com slash Morgan McIntyre adventure. And then my book healing empty hands will be available on Amazon on January 31st, which is tomorrow. And so you can join my book launch email list through the link in my bio on Instagram. And then also there's a link to purchase in there as well. Once the 31st comes and you can pre-order the ebook as early as today. Um, or you can wait until tomorrow and you can get a hardback paperback and the audible version should be available then as well. Perfect. And I will also link all of that in the show notes as well so that listeners can find you and find your book easily. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. For more, follow along on Instagram at mybestmomfriend. I'll see you again next time.